in John chapter 21, and I'm going to read 1 to 19. That's John 21, 1 to 19. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred metres. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus come, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Today, the outline for our talk is death that glorifies God, the fishing trip breakfast, 
And then that question and answer session that Jesus had with Peter. Confusingly, I'm going to start at the end to show you what John has in mind beneath the storyline. This is not any old fishing trip nor any old conversation with Jesus. There are bigger things at stake. There's some history here. There are matters of life and death. And I should warn you that this morning I'm going to be speaking about death. And if that's a bit too difficult for you at the moment because of what you've just been through or what you're going through, then don't be embarrassed to quietly sneak out. No one will be offended. So starting with verse 18. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. Peter's told about the nature of his death. Jesus knows that when Peter is old, he'll be crucified. It's not recorded in the Bible, but an early church writer, Hegesippus, tells us that's exactly what happened. But why does Jesus tell him? What difference will it make to him and to the other disciples? We might ask, what difference does it make to us knowing about Peter's death? I know that death is not an easy subject to talk about. Some of us are hurting from the impact it has had on us. And if that's you, then please take comfort that Jesus knows the pain that is involved. He feels it deeply and comforts those who need to know his reassuring voice. And often death comes when we're not ready for it. And it can overwhelm us. But in order for us to understand this passage, I do think we need to take a brief look at death. There's a great reluctance today to even mention the word. We tend to avoid it. You can say, pass away, but not died. I suppose it's not surprising. The more comfortable we've become, the more we enjoy the good things in life, the less happy we are to face the harsh reality of death. We've stopped believing in any afterlife. It's just nicer to ignore the biggest fact of life, that it comes to an end. But then what? All our focus is on this life. But because we know the Easter story, believers in Jesus can face death and talk about life after death without fear and with great certainty and even greet it with joy. This book about life is all about how we can understand what life's about. And it's what the disciples were talking about, what they were thinking about as they were waiting to, to see Jesus. So I want us to get clear in our mind the disciples' understanding of death. You see, at the moment, there's lots of unhelpful ideas about death going around. And I want us to replace them with what the Bible teaches so we can get clear in our minds what the disciples were thinking when they were waiting for Jesus. So let me list, to start with, six unhelpful ideas about death. Number one, death is not real. It's simply something 
in the mind. That's the belief of Christian science, Mary Baker Eddy. It's not very common today, but held by some. Number two, the way that you live on is in your children. Chinese proverb says that there are only four things of value in life. Planting a tree, building a house, writing a book, and having a son. Those things will live on after you. Well, sorry if that's been your philosophy of life. I'm afraid it's not what the Bible teaches. Number three, there's nothing after you die. It's oblivion, lights out, nothing. Number four, the idea of reincarnation, that you will live on in another person or creature. Well, there's not even a hint of that in the Bible. Number five, when you die, you are finished with your body, but your soul goes on floating in some kind of lovely existence. And number six, everyone believes something and everyone will go to a better place, won't they? Well, none of these is helpful or true according to God's word. Wishful thinking, sentimentality and false religion give us no comfort or help when we face death. And the Bible is much more precise and encouraging if we will hear what it says and do something to escape the punishment that awaits us. So here's a very brief summary of the facts of death from the Bible. One, death is real. The Bible takes it utterly seriously and talks about it clearly and often. Two, death is an enemy. It's to be fought and belongs to Satan's order and not God's. It's tied up with evil and is a bad thing. Number three, death is not the end of either body or soul. It may cause a temporary separation of body and soul, but only temporarily. Number four, beyond life, there are two destinies and only two. We are not all going to the same place. Number five, we decide on which of these destinies is ours. And we make the choice in this life only. And number six, death is always followed by judgment. There's a day of reckoning, a day of accounting where the book of our life will be examined. And number seven, the sting of death is sin. The deepest fear of us all is that we will be held responsible for all the wrongs that we've done and all the good things that we should have done but never did. And number eight, death has been conquered and that sting has been taken out of death. When Jesus spoke about death, he said, fallen asleep. When Jesus raised Jairus' daughter or Lazarus, although they were both clearly dead, he said they were merely asleep. He said this because he was on this earth to conquer death. And he saw raising them from death like waking someone from a good night's sleep. Now all the disciples had this training. 
They had been grounded in the realities of life and death. They'd graduated in practical theology. How to relate to God. What is right and wrong? And what do we do because we have all chosen the wrong path at some time in our lives? It's just that they weren't ready to accept that Jesus would conquer death by dying a humiliating death of crucifixion and then rising again on the third day. Jesus had told them, but they'd missed that bit. They just couldn't take it in. They couldn't quite grasp the significance of Jesus taking our sins upon himself and having to die. So how did they do when it came to their time of testing? How many graduated with honors from Jesus's three years ministry training course? Well, not one. Judas Iscariot, filled with greed, betrayed Jesus and lost everything. And the other 11 flunked their final exam. Or so they must have thought. They'd all deserted Jesus in his time of trial and death. They'd all put their own safety above their love of Jesus. Their fear of death paralyzed them. And they deserted the course. But their training was not yet complete. Jesus hadn't given up on them. And that's good news for us, because he doesn't give up with us either when we fail to grasp some of the important facts about life and death. Now, while we have the Bible's teaching on death fresh in our minds, let's look at that fishing trip breakfast. What were the disciples doing just days after the conqueror of death had appeared to them alive in the lot room? Well, they're back in Galilee. Why? Some think it's because they were rebelling and going back to their way of life that they'd known before they met Jesus. They were simple fishermen. But if that's true, Jesus doesn't seem to rebuke them at all. Rather, he helps them with their fishing trip. Now, I believe the simple answer is that they were waiting to meet with Jesus again. Do you remember what the angel said at the tomb? The angel said to them, Jesus wants them to go to Galilee. Go there where he's going to meet with you. So here they are in Galilee, and while they're waiting, Peter suggests a fishing trip. Great idea, they say, the seven Galilean disciples. What a good use of our time until Jesus turns up. And did you notice in verse 2 that Thomas was one of the seven? He wasn't going to miss out this time on the next appearance of Jesus. The young fishermen, probably still in their early 20s, were back at work. They knew Jesus wanted them to fish for men and not fish. But they didn't know how to do it. They couldn't do it without Jesus guiding them. So let's join them on the boat. It's a night fishing trip, quite usual for them. And how has it gone as dawn breaks? Well, it's been a disaster. They hadn't even caught any tiddlers. Nothing at all. Silch. Now, how do you think they expected Jesus to greet them when he appears to them this time? Remember how he greeted them in the locked room where they were hiding away in fear of their lives. And he said to them, peace be with you. And a week later, he repeated it. 
Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Well, now in Galilee, his greeting is different. If you look at verse 5, a more accurate translation of this verse would be, Hey, lads, you haven't caught any fish, have you? No, they reply. And so he tells them where to throw their nets. And they get a bumper catch, which is a handy reminder of the first time that Jesus told them where to fish. That time they nearly broke the nets, trying to lift the fish into the boats. And the two boats nearly sank under the weight of it all. So this time, they wisely drag the net carefully to the shore. But let's look at that first occurrence. I'm going to turn now to Luke chapter 5, if you want to follow it in your Bibles, but it'll be on the screen behind me. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's just another name for the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding round him, And listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. How did Peter react to the miraculous catch of fish? He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. The miracle highlighted his unworthiness. He knew that he didn't belong in the presence of the Lord. But Jesus assured him, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for men. Simon's sinfulness wasn't going to stop Jesus making him into Simon Peter, one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now it's nearly three years later that Peter is reminded of what Jesus had called him to do. Is that why Jesus wanted to see them in Galilee? to give them something to remember that they could look back on when later they would struggle with the job of taking the good news to the world, casting their nets wider. We'll turn back in John 21 to verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, 
It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. I wonder when it was that John realized that it was Jesus. John was the faster runner and quicker on the uptake, but as usual, Peter was the first to react. Peter had lost the race to the empty tomb, but he was the first inside. And he was the first to the shore this time. Although he got respectably dressed first. His unworthiness was always in mind when he was near Jesus. And we don't hear how Jesus greets Peter this time. Because the author is too busy getting the boat to shore, dragging the net behind. When they do finally land the boat, they see that Jesus has been getting breakfast ready for them. I found it interesting that the word for fish on the fire is singular, just one fish. And we don't know where Jesus caught that fish or whether he was given it and where he got the bread from. Although we know that he can provide those from anywhere. Jesus asked them to bring some of their catch too. And then he serves them their bread and fish breakfast. But I wonder what they were talking about. Wonder what the conversation was like in, at that breakfast time. Would it have been small talk? Were they interested in what it was like for Jesus to rise from the tomb? What happened? How did it all go ahead? They knew it was Jesus, but no one dared ask him who he was. See, they were experiencing something new. A meal with Jesus in his resurrected body. Perhaps they were just too tired, hungry, or overwhelmed for any small talk. But they would remember for the rest of their lives and be able to talk about having breakfast with the risen Lord on that beach in Galilee. After that, they would go fishing for men. But they would need the helper with them if they wanted to be successful. Jesus had breathed on them in the upper room to receive the Holy Spirit, but they had to wait until the Feast of Pentecost for the Holy Spirit to give them the power to do what Jesus had called them to do. But John doesn't take us that far. He wants to end his book by telling us how Jesus handles Peter's problem. You see, Peter had declared that he would lay down his life for Jesus. But Jesus told him that he would deny that he was even a follower of Jesus three times to save his own skin. And that's exactly what happened. Peter was doing his best to be loyal by getting as close as he could to where Jesus was arrested and held held for trial. But while there, three times, he denies that he's even a follower of the condemned man. And then the cock crows. And he's realized what he's done. And he goes away in floods of tears. So let's look at the conversation that Jesus had with Peter. The Q&A session. Verse 15. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. There were three denials by Peter. And so Jesus asked him three times about his love for him. Now, I find it interesting that the word for love that Jesus uses and the response that Peter gives is slightly different. Some people think it's not significant, but Jesus twice asks the question using the word for sacrificial love, agape. But Peter replies with the word for friendship love, filio. Something akin to, I really like you, rather than, I deeply love you. And it's, it's difficult to put it in English, but a rough translation in our English would be something more like this. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I really like you. Tell me, Peter, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I really like you. Peter, do you just really love, really like me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I really like you. Now, I don't know if it's significant because some people say these two words are interchangeable in the Bible, so you can't read too much into it. But I tend to think that Peter was being so careful to be truthful with Jesus and not to overstate his own love because previously he'd said that he'd lay his life down for him and he completely failed to do so. But Peter's response doesn't affect what Jesus calls him to do. In response to Peter's filio love, he is still to feed the newborn, to tend the flock, and provide food for the more mature believers as well. All the teaching and pastoral duties of a member of God's family. And we've already seen that Jesus follows this up by telling Peter that he will indeed lay down his life for him. So Jesus doesn't take any offense at Peter's honesty when it comes to the answer that he gives. But what about us today? We're not eyewitnesses of the resurrection. But when we respond to Jesus' love, he also calls us to feed the lambs which is bringing the good news of forgiveness through believing in Jesus to those who are new in the faith, to tend the flock which is demonstrating the new life that Jesus gives us, encouraging the church family through the gifts that he's given us, and to feed the sheep, which is teaching everything we need for life and godliness through God's word, the Bible. So to finish... What are we to make of this passage? It was a unique experience for those disciples. They would go on to launch the church because, as we said so many times this morning, Jesus is alive. They didn't only see him alive, they had breakfast together. 
His death was not a sad ending, but the joyful beginning of the good news of forgiveness for everyone who comes to him. And he even forgives people who've messed up big time, like Peter. Death has been conquered once and for all. The sting of death, that fear that we will have no plea except guilty when we face the day of reckoning for our sins, has been taken from us by Jesus paying the price of it in full. Oh, happy day. We're not Simon, son of John, who became Peter the Rock. But we do need to hear Jesus calling us to follow him. And hear what he wants us to do in the kingdom that he's building. So let's do a simple exercise. What do I say when Jesus says to me, Michael, son of Stephen, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Michael Stevenson, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, feed my lambs. Michael, do you really love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Well, then feed my sheep. John's book ends by dismissing a rumor that Jesus said to him that John would still be alive when Jesus returned. He wants to get that clear at the end of his book. But he says he could have gone on telling us many other stories about Jesus. Just look at verse 25 to finish with. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. But John has told us his gospel story. And he wants to leave us with the story of Peter being reconciled with his Lord. And being told that he will do what Jesus called him to do. He will take that good news to the world. He will feed the lambs with the good news of the gospel. He will encourage the church even when the church is rebellious and goes wrong. He will work with it. He will work with the skills that God has given him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Use his gifts to build up the church. And he will teach the Bible. He will write the Bible. We can't do that. But he will be a man who gives us a lot of the things that we've got today. Until he reaches old age. When he too will be crucified. Well, one day, we will see the Lord, the man, Jesus, risen from the dead. He will have prepared a meal, a wedding breakfast, for all those who can say, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you.